0: Amen. Let's praise our Jesus. Put put your hands together. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. If, if you have your Bibles, open it to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, as right before I came up here for worship, I was just praying, Lord, I stand in your grace to champion your grace and by your Holy Spirit, love everybody that's here this morning through your word. Um, this morning is a very exciting topic as we continue through Hebrews and and, and are now into Hebrews chapter 12 as we are talking about perseverance, persevere. There's a story about a husband and wife who uh, were really um, making their New Year's resolutions and were going to tighten up on their budget, and so they, they set their budget in stone, and so the husband was really discouraged and a little frustrated when he came home one day and he saw that his wife had just bought this expensive dress from, from Neiman's. And so he, he held the dress up and he said, what, what are you doing? I thought that we established a budget. And she said, you can't get mad at me. The devil made me do that. And he said, what do you mean the devil made you do it? And she said, I, I wasn't going to buy anything. I was just walking through Neiman's and I saw this dress and the devil told me, he said, you sure would look good in that dress. Just try it on. Don't buy it. Just go try it on. And she said, so I wasn't going to buy it, but I, I took the dress and I went and I tried it on and the devil was in the dressing room with me and he said, he said, girl, that dress looks so good on you. And the husband said, well, why didn't you just rebuke the devil and quote scripture and say, get thee behind me, Satan. And she said, I did say, get thee behind me, Satan. And he got behind me and said, I look good there too. So I had to get this dress. Now, that story, I think it provides a really uh, solid, uh, accurate point, and that is that if you shut the door on Satan, he looks for an open window, doesn't he? And then if you shut that window, he looks for another open window, doesn't he? That's what he does. If you recall in the temptation of Jesus, he tempted Jesus when he was the, at his most vulnerable after fasting 40 days and was tired and hungry, that's when the enemy attacked him and he tempted him three times. And then when he was unsuccessful, scriptures say that he left Jesus and waited for another opportune moment. He is relentless in tempting us. We read in Revelation that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And watch his tenacity in accusing the saints. He accuses us through accusations. Sometimes those accusations are flat-out lies. Sometimes those accusations are the truth of what we've been forgiven and redeemed from. But Satan just reminds uh, reminds us of them. He's the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses us how often? Night and day. The Bible tells us that Satan is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We read that Daniel, the man of God, fasted and prayed for days, and the answer to his prayer was pending, because the archangel, the warrior angel, was battling with Satan in the spiritual realm, but through the prayers of Daniel, uh, the, the, the angel overcame, and the answer was given to Daniel. All that to say, we have an enemy that is vigilant that is diligent, that endures, that perseveres, and so we had better be vigilant and endure and persevere. We had better be uh, enduring and standing upon the truth of our identity in Christ every single day. We had better be passionate about walking circumspectively and walking in holiness and righteousness and not giving the enemy a foothold. We, we have to be passionate about what Cassidy said earlier about not having this defensive posture in this spiritual battle for souls that we're all engaged in the glory of Christ. But we have to have an aggressive, offensive posture because the gates of hell, those are... The, deep, the, the defensive mechanisms of hell, the gates of hell, will not prevail against the blood of the lamb and the testimony of the saints. And so we have to walk circumspectively. We have to endure. We have to persevere. We have to stand or we won't stand at all. Now, the past several weeks, as we've been walking through Hebrews chapter 1 all the way up until about last week, uh, the, the the author of Hebrews was absolutely laborious and redundant even in making his point over and over through this analogy and that analogy, this word picture, that word picture, uh, this uh, theological statement, that theological statement, in making the crystal clear, airtight case that by one sacrifice, that's the blood of Jesus on the cross, we are perfected, forgiven in the righteousness of God, and that perfection lasts forever forever. But once we are perfected and the Holy Spirit is within us and that perfection is eternally perpetual, we enter into something called sanctification. And in this season of sanctification, we've been given the Holy Spirit and therefore we've been given the capacity to persevere and to endure And hebrews chapter 12 is a commission like a like a coach on the sidelines cheering you on as you live your walk of faith it's a it's a it's a commission it's an it's an exhortation to persevere and endure Because we have a promise, if we don't give up, if we don't grow weary, if we don't give out, there is great reward. Our prayers will be answered. We will experience a spiritual breakthrough. We will be standing in the midst of a harvest more abundant that we we never even imagined it. But we have to persevere. We have to endure. And I know that some people are saying, but why does it have to be so hard? Why, Why does it have to be? a struggle because it's a spiritual battle because this isn't home we're not supposed to be too comfortable here this is our time to battle this is our time to walk by faith this is our time to persevere and to endure this is our time to face absolutely insurmountable odds and yet believe anyway this is our season to hope one too many years and yet hope anyway This is is our moment to be ruthlessly criticized and yet to love anyway. This is our season to stumble and yet once again get up anyway because we know that we're not fighting for our salvation or for victory. We're fighting because we are saved from a position of victory by one sacrifice, the blood of Christ. We are perfected forever and we have the spirit of Christ in us who gives us the capacity to persevere and endure And with the promise that our perseverance will have great reward if we don't give up. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. It is a rich, um, a rich chapter. And we're just going to walk through it and draw some principles from really the first handful of verses. And and through these handful of verses, we're going to draw about seven principles in persevering and enduring from these first handful of verses. The first couple of verses— um, we will we will draw seven principles to persevere in the spirit and to endure and to not grow weary. What are you going through? I mean, it can be difficult. I know it can be discouraging. I know, but I know that I know that if you don't grow weary, if you continue to persevere, I know that whatever you're going to through will, going through will be translated into a testimony. But the thing about persevering, persevering and enduring isn't simply going through the motions. It is being obedient to Jesus Christ and standing on the promises that he's given us with joy. And we don't defer our joy until the answer comes or until we're standing in the breakthrough. That requires no faith. The joy and the praise is to happen now before the breakthrough, before the prayer arrives. So let's take a look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay, off, lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would just give us the capacity by your Holy Spirit to endure and persevere. In Jesus' name, God, we pray that any hearts that have grown weary would be resuscitated by joy, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Lord, we know that all steps of faith and and persevering and, and enduring will be richly rewarded with a harvest that exceeds our expectations. Be glorified in every heart, in Jesus' name, amen. So, the first principle that we draw from Hebrews chapter 12 is this. Hebrews chapter 12, the first principle, and not growing weary, and not losing heart, and not giving up. The first principle is this. Embrace perseverance as your path. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you look at the passage before and see what therefore is. Therefore. Therefore. Therefore, why is that therefore there? Well, we just finished reading about Hebrews chapter eleven, and in Hebrews chapter eleven, that incredible hall of faith. I mean, we read about Samson and Gideon and 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 Barak and and Daniel and 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 Noah and Abraham and all these saints of old who. They sacrificed, they, per, they persevered, they endured, they counted the cost, they believed, they, they, they continued to hope no matter how much time had passed and how God had blessed them. And there were some who persevered and they endured and, and they perhaps didn't see the answer to their prayer in this life, but they received an even greater reward in heaven. And in this life, they blazed a trail for many others to walk by faith behind them, therefore persevere. Therefore, since we are surrounded by them, therefore, since that is the heritage of our faith, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, now it's our turn to persevere and endure. Now it's our turn. Did you know that Joseph waited um 13 years before his prayer became his vision and dream became a reality? David waited 13 years before the dream that God gave him when he was 17 became a reality and he was king when he was 30. Abraham waited 25 years before the promise God gave him when he was 75 became a reality when he was 100. Abraham, or Moses rather, he was 80 when God called him and he wandered through the wilderness for Forty years, and he received a greater inheritance in heaven, but blazed the trail so that many could enter into the promised land behind him. And now it's our turn to persevere and endure. And don't think that, that, that if you have to persevere and endure, and if many prayers have been prayed, and if a lot of time has passed, well, then uh, faith just doesn't come naturally for you. Faith is not like the televisionists tell you. The television evangelists tell you it is. It's not. It's not technological you you push a button uh with 49.95 and you get a poster of the evangelist and 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 then and then you'll become rich and instead of driving an explorer you're going to drive a bmw and and you just have to have enough faith and it happens immediately Is, is 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 that the bible if if our faith cannot inspire hope in a third world country that assembles in a mud hut, if our faith cannot inspire peace and comfort in a third world country whose pastors have their face burned off their burned off by by liquid acid and whose children are, are, are maimed and, and, and crucified right in front of them and who walk miles to assemble in that mud hut if our faith can't inspire peace and hope in a third world country then it is a false gospel if our faith if our gospel can't inspire hope and redemption and a new heart to somebody on death row then it is a false gospel there's a story about a a, a very affluent pastor who was visiting a poverty-stricken uh, community in a third-world country, and he was talking to this pastor and talking about his church back home. And oh, he was fighting a pride. I mean, it was subconscious pride. It wasn't entirely overt, but he was talking about the the building projects and the and the parking issues they were having, and the sound system that they had, and the and the and the, and the, and the logistics and the administration of the multiple services, and and then the. The the poverty-stricken pastor in the third world country began talking about their um, shortage of water and their corruption in the government system and in the local authorities and their deficiency in education and sanitation and how they have no facilities. And the affluent pastor said, my heart's broken. I'm going to pray for you and your congregation and your poverty. And the poor pastor said, don't pray for us. We will pray for you and your prosperity. See, God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. And I believe the Holy Spirit could exit many churches and nobody would even know the difference because it is such a well-oiled machine. Our path is to persevere. Those are our forerunners in the Old Testament. And that's the example of Jesus. He said, pick up your cross, and follow me pick up your cross and follow me and somebody said i will but but uh, first let me go say bye to my family and in luke jesus said whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven and somebody else said i'll follow you and jesus said foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head and somebody else said i'll follow you but first let me bury my father and jesus said let the dead bury their dead i am leaving now Jesus said, if they're going to persecute me, you better be certain that they're going to persecute you. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And this isn't to discourage you, it's to encourage you. If you have struggles, if you have trials, if you have to persevere, it's not that you're an abnormal Christian who doesn't have enough faith. It's that you are picking up your cross and counting the cost and following Jesus. And if you don't grow weary and if you continue to persevere and endure with joy and with passion, praising God, not because the answer has already come, but because it's going to come, then there will be great reward for your faith. The first principle in persevering is to embrace perseverance as your path. The second is to remember that failure isn't final. Let's back up. Therefore, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so closely entangles us. You know, we mentioned that perseverance isn't just g- going through the motions. Perseverance uh, it, it, it's not losing our passion. It's not losing our first love for Jesus. It's not losing our tenderness and our, our love for people. It's, it's, it's continuing to, to, to function out of a place of our first love and the first works. We don't just go through the motions, but we have passion in what we do. And we, we, we love and we hope and we expect that there's going to be great reward for our faith. We don't just go through the motions of ministry because we're supposed to go through the motions of ministry, and we don't just reach out because we're supposed to reach out to people, and we don't just check off a box on on a religious list. No, we praise, and we pray, and we reach out because we believe that Jesus is going to receive glory, and he is going to answer our prayers, and it's going to be more than we ever imagined and we believe that the seeds are going to take root and people that you thought was impossible to come to Christ they are going to come to Christ because they're all lost causes did you know that we think I don't think I'm going to share my faith with them or reach out to them because they're a lost cause we are but by the Holy Spirit we were all lost causes every one of us we weren't just sinful or bad we were dead in our, trans- in our transpasses Trans transgressions we are all lost causes but by the holy spirit and so through and because of the holy spirit there are no lost causes you will never lock eyes with somebody that jesus christ does not love and he did not die for on the cross and desperately long to spend eternity with and if you pray for them that prayer will have great reward Do you guys have any prodigals in your family anybody far from home any lost causes anybody bound up in addiction, there are no lost causes, because we're all lost causes, but by the Holy Spirit, so there's no lost causes, and that means that because of the Holy Spirit, if we continue to pray for them, and to reach out to them, and to share how Christ is working in our lives, and planting seeds, the Holy Spirit will use that, and so if we're struggling with any sin in our life, let's cast it aside, because The goal isn't to simply go through the motions. It's to follow Christ and obey Christ with passion, with expectation. And there's such a distinction between the two. And you may have two people and they look exactly the same. Maybe they're going through the exact same motions. But in the spiritual realm, one is is like a tsunami and the other one is making no motion whatsoever. What's the difference? On the outside, maybe their actions look the same, but on the inside, one is simply going through the emotion, through the motions, and the other has a sense of passion and has a sense of expectation. And so we can't just go through the motion, we have to have a sense of expectation. And the most dangerous thing about entertaining any sin in our life is that nothing will dilute the sense of expectation in our heart and mind more quickly than any area of disobedience in our lives. You say, well, but by by, by the blood of Jesus, I am perfected forever, right? Absolutely. Well, then why can't we entertain a sin? Well, if it doesn't grieve your heart, then you need to make sure that you were once even perfected by placing your faith in Christ. And you are perfected forever in Christ. But once you are perfected forever in Christ, we are in this thing called sanctification. And one of the quickest ways that Satan can take the steam out of our spiritual momentum is by taking the sense of passion and expectation out of our heart. You might still come out and serve in ministry. You might still come out and teach a class. You might still go out and pray a prayer in home group. And you might come out and worship, you might still tithe, you might still share your faith occasionally, but it's going to be like a robot, like, like a robot. There'll be activity, but there'll be no sense of expect, expectancy, and it's expectancy on earth, expectation in our hearts that creates movement in the spiritual realm. And sin just absolutely dilutes that sense of passion and that sense of expectation, so that for weeks and then months and even years, you're simply going through the motions So in order to run with perseverance, we have to embrace perseverance as our path. And secondly, we have to shed these sins that so easily entangle us. And this is simply a matter of every day we wake up, we surrender to Jesus. And we we say, Lord, I want this and this and this and this. But this and this and this is clearly not your will. So I repent of that and I surrender from that area. But anything that we give up to the Lord, we have to have it replaced with something else. Otherwise, we'll go back into that sin even deeper. Did you guys know that? That is a spiritual principle that Jesus gave us. A guy had a demon cast out, and then the demon went off into arid places and came back with seven buddy demons stronger than he was. And they overtook the man, and the latter condition was worse than the first. That's an event that Jesus shared. So we say, Lord, this and this and this is not your will, so I surrender it. But we can't stop there. We have to replace it with things of the Spirit. We have to be filled up with the Spirit. And so we have to replace it with ministry and with our relationship with Christ and with community and with accountability. And then the demon and, the, and, and, and these, these places in our life will, will go round up stronger forces and come back and they can't get in because the house is full and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we say this, this, and this is clearly, it's black and white, it's not your will, so I surrender it to you. And you say, but gosh, it's so costly, I don't want to count the cost, I mean, I might lose relationships, I might lose friends, I might lose credibility, I might lose comfort, I might lose vocation, I might lose convenience, I I, I don't want to surrender these things to you. if you hang on to it, you are surrendering so much more in terms of your relationship with Christ and spiritual blessings. You can't even give up a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus without it being returned a hundred times and beyond in this life and the life to come. So we surrender this and this and this, and then we, we fill up with the spirit of Christ. But then there's other areas that it's not so clear cut. We don't know if it's black and white or sin or it's just maybe a little uh, ambiguous. Well then we say, Lord, I just submit this to you and I will follow you and your spirit lead me. And if it's not of you, then I pray that you would close a door. And if it is of you, I will count whatever cost, I will make whatever sacrifices, I will lose whatever credibility, I will I, I will lose whatever friends, though none go with me, I still will follow. So to persevere, to persevere, one, embrace perseverance as your path. Second, Remember, failure isn't final. Let's shed off the sins that so easily entangle us. But if you have stumbled, don't stay down. It brings Jesus no joy to see you beating yourself up. It brings Jesus no joy to see you listening to the accusation lies of Satan saying, The church can never love you, God can never use you again. You can't be a real Christian. Are you sure you're even going to heaven? We've got to count the cost, and that cost may even believe be choosing to believe that you are perfected forever. So get back up and continue to run the race before you. And thirdly, thirdly, in terms of persevering and enduring with passion for Christ, relax. Just relax. It's not up to you. And it's not up to me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus, and it's not up to us. It's up to Jesus. And we don't have to stress and wor- worry and fret if we've missed a turn or if we've missed God's best for our life. Relax. Let's continue. Let's cast a- aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and watch this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's how we can relax. The race has already been set before us. It's Jesus who we look to, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Did you see that? You don't have to fret and worry to chart your course. The race has been set before you. And you don't have to work and and worry in order to sustain your uh, running of the course. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So often we think that The kingdom of heaven advances through our skill set and through our wisdom and through our knowledge and through our savvy and through our not making any mistakes and carefully plotted courses. Nothing could be further from the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ was established in this world and ran through the world like wildfire, not because of the carefully crafted strategies of the apostle Paul, but because of the consistent setbacks that Paul endured. And yet... He refused to give up. Read through Acts with that mindset. Does everything unfold exactly as they carefully, strategically charted their course after these church growth seminars? No. There were no church growth seminars. And things never unfolded the way they expected. The gospel didn't spread like wildfire because of a carefully crafted strategy, but because of consistent setbacks. One after the next and they refused to give up let's just take one snapshot out of the out of the life of the apostle paul he had a desire to share the gospel in asia minor but closed door the holy spirit said no he said okay we'll go to bithynia again closed door the holy spirit said no but he kept praying and then he had a dream a man from macedonia said come over here And so they immediately, uh, they packed up and they set sail for Macedonia based upon that faith after two setbacks. And Paul's strategy, anytime he went into a town, was very consistent. He would go to the synagogue and begin preaching from the Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah and then link those scriptures to his testimony about Jesus. And so he went into Philippi and there was no synagogue. So what does he do now? Another setback. So they go down to the river probably to maybe wash their clothes and and to be refreshed. And there's some ladies and they just start talking and then they share the gospel and these ladies get saved. And then these ladies invite Paul into his house. And then the first house church is began right there in Philippi. That's why we have the book of Philippians right then and there. So so there's a, there's a breakthrough, and they're encouraged, but then after that, they go out, and then they get beat and almost beat to death, and then after that in Philippi, they get thrown into prison, and so here you see it. This is it. It's not, it's not one success after the next. It's one setback after the next, but they never grew weary. They just kept walking forward in faith, and so all that to say, have, have you been praying, and perhaps a prayer hasn't been answered? Have you stumbled? Have you seen a closed door? Are you wrestling to, to, to get the answer to your prayers? If that's the case, well, then you look a whole lot like the saints in the book of Acts and really all 66 books of the Bible. Just don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. It's kind of like if you get in an airplane, say, from DFW, and you're flying to a, a JFK in New York. I mean, everything's been said. It's been programmed in. And the plane is going to JFK. And if in route, you get up and you're in the aisle and you stumble, does that mean that you're not going to make it to JFK? No, because there's something a lot more powerful than your capacity to fly, holding you up, carrying you in route to your destination that's already been preset. And in the same way, yes, we stumble. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we have setbacks. Yes, there's discouragement, but it's not ourselves that are holding ourselves up. We are in Christ, and our faith and our route has been set for us so we simply need to continue to persevere and endure and we do this the fourth principle and endurance as we unpack these few verses is this let's refocus and let's fix our eyes on jesus verse two looking to jesus this is how we who we have to focus on looking to jesus the author and perfecter of our faith Watch this. Who for the joy set before him. This is the example that we have. Looking to Jesus. This is our example. Looking to Jesus who for the joy set before him. Well, that sounds a lot like the televangelist, right? Who for the joy, it's all about joy. It's all about blessing. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. If we want to walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have to share in his sufferings. If we want to experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life, we have to carry our cross. We have to have setbacks in order to entirely trust in Christ. And the world sees those setbacks as stumbling blocks, but they're sovereignly designed and allowed. They're allowed by God to be a launching pad so that we can experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every day, we're going to be tempted. Every day, we're going to face a struggle. Every day, we're going to have a trial. Or did you guys have a trial-free day this week? I didn't. Every day. But our faith is either going to be like an egg or like a tennis ball. That trial is going to cause us to crash, or that trial is going to cause us to bounce back. And with such resilience and into traject- a trajectory that's much further than we could have imagined, depending upon where our focus is. Are we focused on other people's ministry? Or are, are we focused on other people's lives? Are we focused on other people's families? Are we focused on what we think that the ideal should be? If so, then we're going to be like an egg and we're going to crash. We have to stay focused upon Jesus, and then that trial will catapult us where the Lord wants us to be. We have to focus on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did Jesus endure the cross? Think about that. The beating, the scourging, the the ridicule, the the, the ruthless um, mocking, the torture, the cross, the abandonment, the loneliness. How did Jesus endure it? For the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross by looking through the cross. And whether or not our faith is like an egg or a tennis ball depends upon whether we focus on Jesus and walk through our trial the way he did. And that's by looking through it to the joy that's set on the other side. And I don't know all of the exact details to the joy on the other side of your trial. But I know that it will give so much glory to Jesus. It will give hope to the hopeless it will bring pure delight to your soul and when you experience the joy on the other side of the tribulation tears are going to come down your face because your heart is going to be so filled with the first hand knowledge that God loves me and God is faithful and he's been with me every step of the way and he's so good and you realize the true treasure is this intimate knowledge of God even more than, than, than the blessing, the long-awaited awaited blessing that you, were, that you were persevering for. And when you're able to look through the trial to the joy that's set on the other side of it, you're able to, to fulfill the command to actually walk through the trial with joy before you experience the reality of that joy on the other side. For the joy set before him, he endured the agony of the cross. And then finally, remember that the goal is to love. The goal is to love. Let's, consider, let's continue. Verse 3. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Wow. In your struggle you have against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loved and chastises every son whom he receives. You think... If God loves me, how could he possibly allow me to go through this? He's allowing us to go through that because he does love us. And he wants the best for us. He doesn't want us to be prideful, spiritual brats. He wants us to have a a sense of humility. He wants us to, to, to... have tender hearts because we love him so much in light of his love and he wants us to have compassion for others. And this sort of Christ-like character is cultivated in the fire. The Lord is fiercely committed to cultivating Christ-like character in us. And doesn't that just war against our flesh? Because we are fiercely committed to maintaining our comfort. And Christ-like character and our comfort are mutually exclusive. And don't those two agendas butt heads all the time. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is not going to relent. He is going to cultivate Christ-like character, Christ-like humility, Christ-like compassion within us. And that takes place through the fire. So that we emerge through the fire, not just victorious, but we emerge through the fire with Christ-like compassion. And that's the goal that Christ has for us. And it's amazing how successful sometimes we can feel even though our hearts are so devoid of compassion. But that's not success at all in the Lord's eyes. And so he allows us to go through the fire to develop that depth of compassion. Because no matter how successful we may look or religious we may look or, or moral or ethical that we may look, if we don't have the love of Christ for, for Jesus, for, for one another, and for a broken world, then we're not pleasing the heart of God and not a successful Christian. And so we have, to, we, we have to thank God for the trial and the fire that we're going through. Because he loves us enough to allow us to walk through it so that we can reflect him to a lost and dying world. I love C.S. Lewis's quote that has encouraged me to to pray for love and pray for compassion. C.S. Lewis wrote, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and our heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe." in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in this casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not become broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Whoa, that's the tragedy, isn't it? Not a broken heart, not the fire. The tragedy is an unbreakable heart, irredeemable and impenetrable heart. There's a story of a special Olympics in Seattle and these kids were lined up to run the 100 yard dash and the gun went off and they all set out on their race not necessarily in a dash but all with the relish to win and about 50 yards into it this one kid he, uh, he, he trips and you know he bites the, the, the asphalt and he skins his chin and his hands and he immediately starts sc- crying. And the other nine kids, right before they, they get to the finish line, they hear this kid crying. And so they stop short of the finish line and they come back and they surround this little boy. One little girl uh, bent down and kissed him and said, this will make it better. And then they help the boy up and arm in arm, arms, arms kind of swinging. They walked the rest of the race and they all crossed the finish line together. And everybody was on their feet giving them a standing ovation. You know that's that's the process that causes this great cloud of witnesses to stand on their feet and applaud us from the grandstands of heaven. That's that's the kind of heart that brings joy to the heart of Christ. In this world, you know, we think, hey, let's tear out of the blocks and let's be number one. Let's say here I am. Let's say me. Let's say it's it's, it's all about me. But to develop a heart of compassion, so that we find people who are spiritually lost, hurting, and hopeless, who have. Uh, been broken in this world and who have stumbled and we minister the love of Christ to them however this Holy Spirit leads in that time maybe it's the spiritual need of sharing Christ with them so that their soul lives on with Christ forever or maybe it's a practical need maybe maybe it's a it's a prayer maybe it's an encouragement maybe it's it's helping them you know stretch their money to the end of that particular difficult month what whatever it is we show compassion Because we've been been given so much compassion. And we carry as many people across the finish line as possible so that they enter into a relationship with Christ. And they are walking and growing with Christ. And they know that they are not alone, but they are well loved. And that kind of compassion, that kind of compassion is only cultivated in the fire. That's why the Apostle Paul prayed a prayer that I've never prayed. I'm not there yet. Maybe you've prayed this, Paul prayed for more suffering so that he would have to trust Christ more so that he could experience more of the power of the resurrection in his life. He said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. See, there's, a, there, there's an inseparable link between knowing Christ intimately and suffering with Christ. And that's why when we have need to persevere and endure, you shouldn't consider yourself a second-rate Christian. You should consider yourself honored because God has singled you out to draw him so close to yourself, to deepen your compassion so that you reflect him, so that his love pours through you more powerfully than you ever dreamed. And we know this. It's not about going through the motions. Maybe, maybe you've so stopped persevering that you're not even going through the motions. Maybe you're going through the motions, but you know in your heart you're not persevering. There's no sense of passion or love or expectation. But we do know this, that if we persevere with passion and with love and with a sense of expectation, there is going to be a great reward for that faith. So would you stand with me, please? Do you guys recall the 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 old karate kid not the remake but the old one with danielson and mr miyagi wasn't that a good movie do you you remember how danielson was getting picked on at school and he, he wanted to learn karate so he goes to mr miyagi and mr miyagi was like yeah sure i'll teach you karate and so he says start painting the fence and danielson is painting the fence and he's like you know wax on and wax off and danielson is doing all that danielson went to learn karate not to paint a fence and wax on and wax off and so finally he lost his patience with mr miyagi and he he threw the towel down and he said he said i am not your slave what what are you doing and he just he goes off on mr miyagi and then mr miyagi he throws a punch at him and as he throws the punch he says wax on and danielson waxes on and then he throws another punch and he says, Wax off. And Danielson blocks the path, b- blocks the punch. And he realized that in all of these things that he th- thought was a complete waste of time, it was actually cultivating him. And in the same way, we go through trials, setbacks, discouragement, failure. We wanted the answer to our prayer. Then we are having to be uncomfortable. Our faith is being stretched. And then finally, God is going to say, wax on, (laughs) he's going to say, wax off, and you're going to realize it was all purposeful, every bit of it, and you look more like Jesus, and you know Jesus, and you walk with Jesus, and Jesus is then as real to you as the back of your hand, but not without your trial, not without the fire, not without your suffering, you've got to go through it, so I'm proud of you because you're here, I'm proud of you because I know that you're enduring and you're persevering. Don't grow weary in doing good. In due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I opened the sermon up by saying, uh, you know, the saints of old persevered. Now it's our turn. It's our turn to face impossible odds and believe anyway. It's our turn to face ruthless criticism and love anyway. It's our turn to pray one too many prayers and pray anyway it's our turn to hope way too many years and keep hoping anyway it's our turn to have stumbled way too many times and yet get back up again standing in the grace of God knowing that you are perfected forever so perhaps um, perhaps you've stopped the motions of perseverance altogether perhaps you've been going through the motions of perseverance but your heart is empty and you need to persevere with passion with a sense of expectation I would just like to pray for you. If you'd just raise your hand up. All right. God bless you. Father, you see these hands. We pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would breathe renewal into their hearts. In Jesus' name. Lord, those that wait upon you will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We know there is great reward to our perseverance. Those who go out sowing in tears will come back reaping with shouts of joy. So I pray for passion and expectation and the seeds that are sown for prayer, the seeds that are sown for ministry, the seeds that are sown, Lord, in sowing seeds, the seeds that are sown for your glory, the seeds that are sown, Lord, and, 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 and leaving a godly legacy. Lord, we pray for a great harvest. And we know, God, we know by faith with expectation and joy that though we sow in tears, we will reap with shouts of joy and songs of deliverance. Praise you. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now I would just like to invite you guys. We, we have a stage here, and it's we call it an altar. And I would like to invite you to come, whatever struggle, whatever burden you have, just to come lay that here and say, Lord, uh, it's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you, so I entrust it to you. And Lord, I give it to you. And so just come lay your burdens before the Lord. And when you walk away, walk away much lighter, uh, much freer. So the altars are open and let's worship.